And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Lads, I don't know what film you were watching, but it wasn't <laughs> the same film I saw. I'm all the man you need, bro. Yeah, I was, I was pretty shocked and appalled. Uh, so I'll bring the duct tape. It wasn't a very good movie. I laughed at it more than I laughed at The Possession. <laughs> good evening sure. and welcome to is it a bicycle everyone's favorite podcast i don't say that lightly i wouldn't lie to you listeners we're back in the studio again with no steve so you're stuck with me hosting this week um mike how are you doing this evening i'm doing fantastic mark mike you have a son i do you spent so long trying to set up the wires and plugs for this show, I have no idea how you manage that. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I've never met a man who spent so much time trying to figure out what went where. <laughs> but well, anyway, we're here. We're, we're live in, in living Technicolor and sound. Do we have Sean on the line joining us from Las Vegas? You do have Sean live from his studio apartment. <laughs> and what, how are things over there, Sean? What's it like being in Vegas now? Oh, to be honest, it's pretty chilly over here in Vegas right now. Uh, for American listeners, it's about 50 degrees. For Irish listeners, it's uh, it's a bit cold. What's a bit cold in relative terms? I don't know, man. That's why I said it that way. Like six. 50 degrees. minus 30 is 20 divided in 10. It's about 10 degrees Celsius. Oh, freezing, freezing. Uh, that's yeah. cold. That's like, you know, that's, that's fairly universally cold, but it's not, it's nothing like what we're having here. Like we had, we had snow earlier on tonight and we had hailstones and, and you've got two Canadians on the, on the line here. So that's not cold at all. So there. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all relative. It's all relative. Shona, how are you tonight? Hi, Mark. I'm very good. Thank you. And can I say what a wonderful job you're already doing hosting this week's podcast? A uh, vast improvement on last week's host. Well, I, I tend to disagree, but sure. Here we are. We may as well keep going. So we have a lot of good stuff to get into, but I'm sure everyone's interested to hear an update on how my war for TV is going. I've actually found myself like twice this week wondering how you were getting on, despite my best efforts to not care. <laughs> Fill us in. I've, I've been waking up in the middle of the night wondering, I wonder how Mark's TV situation is going. <laughs> so for those of you that missed the show last week, I told him a far too long story about how um, a broadband technician knocked my TV off its stand and broke it and that I was at war with them to try and get it, get it fixed. So I left, I waited a couple of days after into the new year and then I rang the number I'd been given and I got through and the very helpful lady on the line told me that someone would be right back to me, which I was immediately skeptical of. So I went, well, you know, if you want, you could give me a number to call and I could save you all that bother. She, she is obviously not, not the first time she heard that. So she just went, no, I can't do that. I'll, I'll have to ring it through and then someone will call you back. So I said, fine. And I waited and no one called me back that day or the day after. And then it was the weekend. And then on Monday, out of the blue, this guy rang me and asked me, you know, if I was Mark Leonard, which I usually am. So I agreed with him. And then he said, well, could you take a picture of the receipt for your TV and we'll send you a check? And I went, oh, I certainly will. I think um, that was the sweet sound of victory. Nice and simple. That's Strangely, great. easily won. Wow. And then to try and save, salvage some of his pride, he's going, I mean, your man said it fell off the table. You're saying he knocked it. We could go back and forth for a long time here. I'm just going <laughs> to save us all the trouble. 
and just pay for the damn TV. You're like, yeah, that's that's what I want. Yeah, and I went, yeah, that sounds yeah. fine to me. So I did that. No, it's I'm waiting for the follow through. I took a picture of the receipt and sent it off to them, and hopefully they'll come back to me. Um, so that's that's, uh, that's satisfying. Was this a yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if the, if the check does actually arrive, but it, it was good. Um, sorry, so Mark, speaking of TVs, Mark, 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 Mark. what has everyone been watching this Mark. week? Shona, Shona, you were watching a saga from a galaxy far, far away. Yes. Okay. So I went to see Star Wars The Force Awakens over Christmas and um, I was talking with Mark and the lads about what homework I need to do regarding Star Wars so that I could properly enjoy The Force Awakens. Now, we discussed which order, chronological or machete. Uh, I know, Mark, you're a proponent of the machete order, which is yeah. episodes 4, 5, 2, 3, then 6, 7, and throw one in the garbage because it's useless, in short. Am I correct? It, it doesn't affect the storyline, right. yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the quickest path to go. Right. I decided not to do that because it involves watching too many movies. <laughs> So, I'm taking my advice. <laughs> so instead, I went with a chronological original trilogy only. So I saw The Empire Strikes Back, and I saw New Hope over Christmas. I saw Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi this weekend before booking a babysitter to go to the cinema on Sunday to see The Force Awakens again. Um, and The Empire Strikes Back is... Not what I expected it to be. There was so much antagonism between Han Solo and Leia. I just didn't get it. I'm like, he doesn't need to be so mean to her. It's all this like, there's a cinematic background to that, Shona, that I'm I'm not sure if you're aware of. Have you seen Grease? I hate that film. Yes. Probably for the same reason. Yes. So Danny has to treat. Yes. uh, uh, I can't remember. Sandy. Thank you. Sandy. Sandy. So, yeah. So Danny has to treat, you know, Sandy mean so that she stays keen. And pretty much the same thing happens between Han Solo and Leia. Yeah. Like the whole, I love you. I know. And she was like, sploosh. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, that's the whole thing. Like the emotional climax is him saying, her saying, I love you. And then he's just all like, yeah. Well, obviously you know obviously he says I know but um and a generation of men want to be Han Solo I, I was really caught up watching that first time around were you really <laughs> well it's very emotional and it's so true to real life as well yeah no see I uh I would disagree with you Mike surprisingly <laughs> and um I was just watching this and it's put the knife down Sean <laughs> <laughs> and get off the soapbox. I can't help it. My feet are glued to the soapbox at this point. But um, I think watching their relationship really marked Empire Strikes Back as a film of its time for me. Because I ended up getting into a discussion. Because I, I was tweeting about this as I watched it. Um, because I needed Mark's informed opinion about what was happening in this relationship. Because it was disturbing me about why it was this movie was so popular. And then other people um, who I knew and some who I didn't know. We're joining in on the conversation on Twitter about that relationship. And for me, it just really marked that film of a, of being of a certain time when that's how male female relationships were shown on screen. I remember watching, um, rewatching some old Indiana Jones and it's the same type of relationship, you know, like there's antagonism, 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 sex. Um, another great example of that is Jewel of the Nile. I don't know that film. I have some bad news for you, Shona. <laughs> oh no, I, I don't want to ask. What, Mike? That that's like going to happen. <laughs> is isn't it? Is it far, far in the past or far, far in the future? 
A long time ago. A long time ago. Oh, yeah, it's a long time ago. It, the so beginning of the film. Yeah, no, but it doesn't matter because that story it. is timeless and it just So repeats. anyway, so that relationship kind of put me off seeing Empire Strikes Back, but the other thing that stuck out to me was how um directorial uh I don't know what you'd call them. I suppose the the way that films are directed has really changed and the way that e- emotion is portrayed and the way that plot points are portrayed I don't know if it's just because it's different, but to me it seems now that films are much more obvious about here's something important that you need to pay attention to. Whereas watching The Empire Strikes Back, you know, the fight between Vader and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, it almost kind of happens as an aside, whereas in fact it's a fairly major plot point. And so there's things that happen that you almost, if you're not paying a lot of attention, you don't notice. Like, there's not the cues that we get nowadays that this is important. And also the sound editing is terrible because there's half the lines I couldn't understand people. By the time we get to Return of the Jedi, I liked it much more. I thought Han Solo and Leia chilled out a bit. Um, I found, uh, what's his name? Skywalker less annoying. And, um, I thought that his training with Yoda was some of my favorite, uh, of, of the whole trilogy. I thought that part was cool. And Yoda is obviously my favorite character. So yeah, I did my homework and then I went and saw Force Awakens again. I didn't cry, uh, because I cried enough, I think, watching it the first time. Um, but yeah, I might be, uh, I, I wouldn't stop talking about The Force Awakens, like the whole drive home in the day since. I'm like, and then this scene when this is happening, I think now that you watch it a second time, I noticed this and did you pick up on this? I think that might mean this. So I think I might be hooked. Brilliant. And a, a, a geek is born. Yep. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. Well, the, the geek was already born, but I think the geek has added to her canon. <laughs> You've expanded your remit now to include the Star Wars saga. So I have. I now have opinions on Star Wars. Yay. <laughs> so what is The Whisperer in Darkness 2011? This is uh, created by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. And these are a group who are obsessed with the work of uh, H.P. Lovecraft, horror writer in the early 20th century, and someone who has been studiously ignored by uh, the big screen makers of films, despite being uh, a cult figure uh, for probably 80 years. Um, so the H.P. Lovecraft Society have made this movie, well, it's it's five years old now, but it is of one of his most famous stories. And it was the first time I had a chance to watch it. And it was uh, basically done in the style of a 1920s, 1930s kind of a movie. Um, so the it's it's black and white. The the music, the sound editing, the, the way, uh, you know, scenes are shot and everything. It's exactly as it would be had hmm. the movie been made way back then. Oh, wow. Uh, and even the acting, it's, it's like they're stage actors rather than you know, your modern movie actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it was absolutely a work of love for, for oh, wow. this particular thing. So if you're into H.P. Lovecraft, I would strongly recommend getting your hands on this. Um, There's a genre, isn't there, for Lovecraftian stuff? Eldritch horror? Yeah, yeah. And it's typically really badly done. Um, a classic example would be Herbert West, Herbert West Reanimator, which was a horrible schlock B-movie sort of... Uh, basically a rip-off of his story. They took the story and forgot about the heart of it just so they could, you know, chop people up and whatever for an hour and a half. <laughs> well, you got to chop people up. Yeah, yeah, you do indeed. But this one, they they went to the source and you could see that they paid minute detail to 
making it good. So fair play to them, and I hope they make more in the future. Who watched Quantico? We reviewed that a while back. Was that you, Sean? That was, that was me, actually. Oh, Sean. You, and how did you find it? So uh, I was just kind of over the Christmas looking for something to catch up on. You know, I had some extra time. And I remember that I had been very on the fence about Quantico, but I, I believe I gave it a thriller in the end. I powered through the whole thing. Um, for those who don't know, Quantico uh, follows two uh, parallel storylines. One, uh, or I guess temporarily removed storylines. One is about a bunch of new recruits at Quantico, and they all have secrets. And it's about them training to become FBI agents. And we see nine months or, or a year in the future, uh, they're all embroiled in this terrorist attack where one of them is has framed the others. Someone at Quantico has framed Alex Parrish, um, the lead of the show. Uh, and she is on the run trying to clear her name. So I really like this show because it's it's plotted to the gills. Like it, So first of all, it's definitely both a soap opera and a thriller. Um, I think in the same way that sometimes Grenade's Anatomy can be, um, even though I never really, you know, cottoned on to that show that much. But what you'll have is they'll, they'll have like the college, like hijinks, even though these people are much older in Quantico. And then you'll like switch to there's a bomb that they need to dismantle or everyone in New York is dead. You know, so like they managed to put like all this drama into stuff that is really important emotionally in one time period and then weave that through as you try and figure out which one of these people is super, super evil and conniving. And the red herrings are pretty good for that as well. Also, everyone in it is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that is one of the things that I, I liked about Quantico is that they take the best looking of actors and actresses. So It's crazy. They're superhuman. So if I get this right, if there's a bomb in New York, the FBI is going to send a bunch of pretty people with about six months' experience to deal with it. Is that it? <laughs> no, yes. Mike. Um, no, actually. Um, exactly they're, right. fully, they're fully trained agents. Um, <laughs> there are terrorists trying to frame them for doing bomby things, which is why the bombs usually end up either like wired to their faces uh, or left in places where they are. We've talked about this a good bit this year. I complained about it quite a lot and how to get away with murder is that the people, the stars of these shows where they have like the special skill, whether it's like a lawyer drama or a medical drama or whatever, like they emerge from college already able to do the job really well, which is not real life. Mm -hmm. And Quantico was another one of those. They were all pretty much secret agents before they ever went to school to learn to be secret agents. But so I actually believe that they did a really good job with the background. Um, for why that is. So first of all, one of them is actually already has been a secret agent for years and is undercover pretending to be a student. So that one's taken care of. Um, another guy is actually pretending uh, everything about his character that we learn in the pilot and for the first few episodes turns out as a facade that he's constructed uh, because his background is actually super intense and he doesn't want to be the person he used to be uh, when he was uh, in Israel as a translator slash interrogator. So like, and then there's one girl who's just a sharpshooter because she competed in the Olympics, like for that, you know? So like they do a good job. They basically just go to the best of the best of the best of the best, <laughs> you know? So I think it's actually doing a pretty good job of that. Uh, and, oh, and there was a great, uh, a recurring guest star in the show is, what's his name? He played Eddie Thawne in season one of The Flash. Um, and uh, he played uh, a, an analyst 
uh, he quit uh, his job as a lawyer to become an analyst. So he's this, he's this uh, gay analyst who just can't get, he can't get his fixation off this one kid who he, who he thinks is lying about a lot of things. Um, but also he kind of like has the hots for him. So it's like, oh, like what's going to happen? Do what? Why am I so invested? Oh my God, I am. Sounds you like know. you really enjoyed it, Sean. Anyway, um, it's from hearing you talk about it, I kind of want to dip back into it. Um, Sean's got good powers that way. Every time he, he likes has. something, he talks mm-hmm. about it in a way that I'm like, oh, I've got to watch that. Yeah, I kind of want to go back to that show now. Um mm. I didn't have another enough room for another Grey's Anatomy type show in my list at the time, but it sounds like that it's it's uh, added a lot of layers that you maybe don't get in other shows. Sounds like a devious manipulation mm. of your emotions to me. <laughs> so I, I jump I jump back into um, Marvel's Jessica Jones. Me too. Mm. I was watching more of it today. Great show. So good. It, it just gets better and better. Yeah. Like the uh, the themes of. Um, control i guess and and people doing stuff um i, I because continue to be impressed by like jessica the, jones's um strength and yet vulnerability yeah well that that's still there but just the whole like uh tenant is it tenant david tenant has Kilgrave. yeah yeah he's brilliant yeah love him best actor in the whole thing yeah, yeah. the more he comes into it actually the better i guess and it was good anyway so it only helps mm-hmm. um but I think it's probably about time that we started to talk about some news. So after that very awkward segue, who wants to talk about the Golden Globes? Yeah, sure, I will. We um we had the Golden Globes air on Sunday night with Ricky Gervais hosting for the first time fourth time after a two year hiatus while Amy Poehler and Tina Fey took the reins. I think they did a better job but he is uh you know i think maybe his humor of um unapologetically taking people down several notches um can suit the award show considering it's like an us versus them uh, i think he did an okay job there were some halfway decent uh jokes it was only aired here in ireland on monday and we get the edited version um but there was a lot of kind of shut up you guys seriously everybody shut up or you know this show is way too long so there's kind of a lot of um, uh, deprecating humor there. In terms of big winners, um, I've read some reviews that were saying that the winners this year don't seem to be quite on the ball in terms of the way that the Oscar predictions are going. So we had, um, let's see, Writings on the Wall won Best Original Song from uh, Bond. Matt Damon got Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. Now we should discuss how much The Martian is actually a musical or a comedy. Yeah, It's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that was you know, some of the jokes that we were hearing on stage last night. It seems kind of ridiculous because I think in, in the Oscars, Matt Damon's going to be competing against Leonardo DiCaprio, who won um, in a drama for The Revenant. Um, so the fact that here they were in different categories is, yeah, uh, The Martian being a comedy seems comical in and of itself. We have Kate Winslet, who won uh, Best Supporting Actress um, for her role in Steve Jobs. Hateful Eight won Best Original Score. Um so there was there was uh, some upsets. I mean, the fact that Lady Gaga won over Kirsten Dunst and Fargo. Mm. Sean, I'm sure you have opinions on that. I do. I hate it, and it's dumb. And now she's going to be in more TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the face that Leonardo DiCaprio made as she walked past his table? 
Yeah, so he he was probably laughing about something else, not anything directly to do with her. Although maybe, but then like she like brushed against his elbow, so you can see him like go, oh shit, and then like do a face like I don't really give a fuck. Ah well. <laughs> Apparently, he was embarrassed over his reaction. I'm just seeing a headline now online. So, um, I don't know if there were any other uh, big winners. I think. I really- have one. What, go, Sean, what? I, I, so I actually only saw clips. Um, I went through just to see some clips of some moments, like any headlines that I that were clickbait to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to have a look at them. So the winner for best, I believe, best supporting actor in a drama, Sylvester Stallone mm-hmm. uh, for Creed, which uh, like I'm really pulling for him in the Oscar. So here's what happens. It's It's announced and everyone stands up except for him. Like literally everyone just goes, yeah fucking yeah and he really doesn't believe it and also he's getting older so it takes him a second but he like doesn't understand what's happening for a bit and the orchestra always plays a song like from the movie uh, as the people like walk towards uh, the stage so of course you get this beautiful goosebump inducing moment and so like he's climbing these steps and everyone's on their feet applauding Jonah Hill is crying for some reason, probably because he grew up at Rocky, like a lot of people that age did. And Sylvester Sloan just tries to get everyone to be quiet so he can, like, leave the stage. He's like, please. Okay, thank you. Okay. Oh, it was great. I loved it. Awesome. Yeah, I remember seeing that, the uh, the, the standing O for him. So that's cool. Did anyone, did anyone have any opinions about the red carpet on the Golden Globes this year? Kirsten Dunst's dress was amazing. <laughs> Whose? Kirsten Dunst had an amazing dress. She had a lot of boobs in that dress. Is that what you liked about her dress? Well, first of all, uh, yes. Googling. And uh, <laughs> second of all, I liked the way that there was little cheeky, like, slitty things on the on the left and right of her, like, belly. I thought those were like, nice. It was an interesting dress. I think the men have been taking the red carpet the past few years. Eddie Redmayne last year stood out, and this year it was... Uh, what was his name? Owello had an amazing uh, kind of purple suit. And Eddie Redmayne again had a, I think it was, were they black pants with a navy coat that had little bees on them? So I think I think the men are doing pretty well on the red carpet. I have to say they're the ones that are standing out. Mm. Now, Mike, I have to say the tuxedo that you've chosen to wear for tonight's recording <laughs> is fairly stellar. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought bright yellow would be your thing, but I think that the bright magenta Hawaiian flower print really brings out your lipstick. <laughs> I, I spent hours hours trying to pick which one, you know, but I'm glad you approved of that one. Don't think that we don't notice. You make such an effort. <laughs> Makes me feel bad about wearing my pajamas tonight. But, you know, yeah, really letting the side down. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, dress for the job you want. I'd like to sleep more. <laughs> so, Mark, that's it for the Golden Globes 2016 coverage. So, in other news, um, Force Awakens has passed 800 million worldwide. It's at 812. And uh, a very funny statistic for you: it opened in China. And it is, Disney is reporting this as the largest Saturday-Sunday opening of all time in the country. But it's worth mentioning, it's the only film to have ever opened on a Saturday in China. <laughs> so needless to say, it's the biggest Saturday opening of all time. Nicely spun, Disney. <laughs> so globally, Star Wars is now the third highest grossing worldwide release of all time with over $1.73 billion. So it's the seventh highest grossing release 
behind Avengers Age of Ultron on international numbers alone, taking out domestic box office. So it's uh, looking at becoming uh, the third film to ever cross the two billion worldwide. So it seems to still have legs. Um, it was number one internationally for the fourth week in a row, so it seems to be holding strong. My prediction last week of um, The Hateful Eight coming a cropper with competition from The Revenant held. It dropped 57% um, week on week. And that's uh, taken into account that it opened in additional theatres. So it's re- like it's lucky that it was a relatively cheaply made film because it's not going to make a whole lot more money. So it's a pity, in my opinion, but them's the breaks. So with that, I think we might move into the first of our TV. Who wants to tell me about the Shannara Chronicles? I lost uh, a couple of weeks of my life when I was a kid reading the Shannara uh, stories um, series of books and uh, at the time I remember really really enjoying them so I was quite excited to see this on the list um, but uh, yeah it it's basically telling the story of some elves 300 years after a massive race war and they live on a foresty kind of a place it has a big red tree, and there's a very special tree because this tree is like a, a plug stopper for all the demons in the world. So if this tree dries, basically you're up shit creek. And there's a special elite team of elves tasked for keeping <laughs> this tree alive. So the the program charts... Uh, they have the weirdest test, by the way, for becoming a special elite is, force elf. Isn't that the stupidest fucking elite oh, test? Oh, so stupid. Seen? Like, to become a Navy SEAL gardener, you have to run through a forest blindfolded because presumably the trees will tell you which way to go. Blindfolded and hands tied. Yeah, yeah. That that, that really, you know, separates the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> it, sound, it sounds a bit like something Sean would have gotten up to last night, but anyway... <laughs> Okay, easy. <laughs> so, um, please, what did please. what did you think? I won't Mike, tell did anybody. it live up to the books? Uh, no, they were. It was terrible compared to the books. Um, for well, for a start, they're not really following the book order. They're just kind of picking and choosing what bits they want. Um, this is mostly mostly coming from book two, I think, and you know, they're adding in here and there. Um. What particularly irked me about this was the sheer volume of CGI. Um, from the very first scene, it just looks like uh, Avatar. You know, I was like, oh, no, no. The highest grossing film of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of, my, one of my personal pet hates is Avatar. Um, it's just you, though. Just me, yeah. Strangely. Yeah. And then they go all Quantico on it with, you know, incredibly good-looking people in every role possible um except I'll, for- i won't hear you say anything bad about good-looking people mike <laughs> um, except for granddad head elf they, they made him look like somebody who wasn't um you know gimli yeah gimli <laughs> gimli john rice davies <laughs> yeah although in fairness he's probably the best looking dwarf that i've ever seen so uh, fair play to him uh yeah i you know They've kind of rehashed this into the the winning formula of, uh, you know, young girl can hang with the boys, do everything, 
and you know just like twilight and mockingjay there there might be more than one love interest you know how on earth is a girl to decide between which pointy-eared guy she wants to go after Mm, we'd better watch 10 episodes to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> Although, well, because of her conversation with the rover, it does pass the Bechdel test. <sighs> Just. <laughs> well, that's, yes. that's good. I'm glad to see that trend reversing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, as Mike was commenting on, on how ridiculous he thinks it is that girls can do stuff, Shona, what did you think? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I didn't know this was a book series at all. So I came to this show with no preconceived notions about what, what I expected. I didn't, I didn't even know what, uh, what this show was about. And it became kind of very obvious to me that there was two very different sides of this show. One is kind of like the young MTV generation, good looking people with pointy ears who look like they belong in like a Miley Cyrus video. And the other half is like taken from Lord of the Rings. Uh, they're, you know, the faces have character to them. There's kind of gritty and bloody and scary and, you know, might fit into the token universe. Um, and so those are the two elements for me that just jarred because they didn't seem to mesh very well into the same TV show. Um, I thought the premise was interesting, but I would have liked to see it maybe told a bit cleaner so that we're, we're hooked. It, it took about 15 minutes to get to the first cool scene, which I think is the first premonition mm-hmm. of this future with uh, demons ripping the universe apart. And I think start with that because that's, that's yeah. the cool part of the show. Um, because up until then, there's just too many good looking people who are acting like they're in a modern day party with beers, except for they have pointy ears. And mm-hmm. the acting by the younger characters, I think, is terrible. It really just kind of takes you out of the show. But then when you get into... Uh, the druid and the demons. Um, I think the show really hits its stride and it's the, it's the parts of the show that make me think I could keep watching it if there was more of that. So I think it really depends on where the rest of this season goes. If it's going to follow, uh, these annoying teenagers who are pretty with pointy ears, um, which is where the protagonist would sit, or is there going to be a nice focus on this demon world that the druid inhabits, which I think is much more interesting. Sean, did you see this? I did indeed, yes. Uh, you are of the MTV generation. How does it appeal to you? Um, well, uh, just one quick uh, note uh, about how many people uh, of the generation got tapped into. It's been viewed a total of 14.6 million times across linear and digital platforms. Um, MTV is the Shannara Chronicles. Uh, I, I was just googling there to see how successful it, it might have been on the night uh, and it completely took over social media with 30,000 tweets during the broadcast that's one every like five seconds um so that was pretty cool um i know nothing about this knew nothing about this before so i was just like okay so thankfully we have finally reached the digital age where dungeons and dragons can just be something that i watch on tv now um it is embarrassing sometimes this show yeah uh it just is so there's a scene where there's an old person who's clearly going to die um like on her deathbed and there's this really pretty kid who for some reason they keep inserting his reaction shots even though his reactions are way too big and also not believable because he's a bad actor um and then you're like how could this get any worse and then it does because she gives him 
uh, an ancient relic and a cryptic message and then dies with her last breath. So that's absolutely atrocious. And I felt bad for everyone involved in the making of the show when that happened. Absolutely. Then Manu Bennett showed up. Uh, from Arrow. Um, Prixis from Spartacus. Oh, okay. So, so he, so he's been in a lot of things where he swings a sword. Um, so I like him. I like him a lot. I think he's got a presence that is like, even when he's doing these ridiculous things, is still somehow like regal and actually noble. And also he's a beast. Like he looks cool as fuck. Like he'd beat the shit out of you. And he would have to because the fate of the world. So I agree with Shona when it comes to that. Uh, I liked all the stuff with the demons, the black hinge that gets erected so the guy can like send out his demons one by one as leaves fall from the tree. Um, that's an easy way to make a TV show. Every time a leaf falls, there's a new demon. Um, given that it was a two-hour premiere event, uh, I watched both hours, uh, episodes one and two, I guess technically you would call them. I think it, it does get a lot better. Uh, some of the stuff that you're worried about, Mike, isn't really an option anymore uh, for reasons. Um, and I like to see that the bad guys are making real maneuvers and moves. So it seems what it's come down to is it's going to be uh, young Will, uh, the Shannara uh, heir who may become uh, this great powerful druid if you can learn how to act ever and uh, Eritrea and Amberly the, the rover girl uh, who tricked dumb fuck Will and uh, uh, and tried to trick uh, Princess Amberly uh, are going to be like the core unit along with uh, the last remaining druid trying to combat these demons and save the tree I like the pitch I think they need to do better at what they're doing. So, I've heard what all of you had to say about it. What did you think, Mark? Well, I don't know what show you were watching, but I think this is brilliant. (laughs) So, strangely, but maybe speaking to the times in which we live, I knew that this was a book series, and I'd been aware of it for a long time, I never got around to reading it, but when I started doing long commutes between Galway and Donegal, I listened to the first book on audiobook. Um, so that was my first exposure to the world of Shannara, which I quite enjoyed. It was very well read, um, and it is a good story. And I was delighted to see it made into a TV show, and I think they did a really good job. Now, I was a little bit worried at the start for some of the reasons that you guys have already mentioned, that um, there was a lack of substance to a lot of what was happening. And then Crixus showed up straight out of Spartacus blood and sand. And he had like, he was so cool in Spartacus. We need a regular sword. Now he has a magic one. It's not a lightsaber, but it works a bit like the same way. So class. So I was hooked just for that sword alone. Um, But I think what they're doing with the demons and the way that they're, they're kind of diving into the, darkest times really quickly works for it so i watched the two-hour premiere and the following episode as well because i just couldn't get enough of this stuff and uh well let's see it, it helps at times that i'm not as smart as the rest of you because a, a lot of the glaring faults just passed completely over my head because i was like take out the sword man take out the sword <laughs> and uh I, I just enjoyed it. I can't, I can't wait to watch more of this. And it's gone straight onto my, my must-watch TV, and I, I'm waiting now for the next episode to drop. So basically, we all agree. <laughs> so, I'll, Mike, I'll start with you. Mm-hmm. Thriller or filler? 
I can't get over the CGI um, and the shitty acting. It's it's filler for me. Well, there are good reasons, I suppose. Shona, what did you think? Yeah, I can't get over the bad acting either. Um, it's definitely going to, I think, overshadow any of the redeeming qualities of the show. So this is filler for me. But you got that he had a sword that's just like a hilt and then it becomes a full-length sword. Yeah, and you know, if he was going to be the show's protagonist, I'd watch it, but I don't think I don't think we're going to see enough of the druid. We're going to have to watch like stupid pretty people overacting. I hate when you give out about pretty people. They're all my friends. <laughs> Sean? Um, I actually thought it was really pretty. Didn't have a problem with the CGI at all. Fortunately, it's a bad show, so I won't be watching it. So that's filler from Sean as well. So it looks like Shanner is not getting an awful lot of love on this podcast. What about you, Mark? Thriller or filler? Oh, sorry. It's thriller. Thriller for me. Thanks for keeping me straight, Shanner. Um, we needed somebody to speak up for the show. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's thriller for me. I think it's I think it's possibly the next Game of Thrones. What? You're crazy. <laughs> you just lost any cred that you had gotten on this show. I had cred, briefly. <laughs> so... Uh, next up, we're going to go into the movies. Somebody watched Moby Dick. Um, in the Heart of the Sea, uh, which is based on the story that Moby Dick is based on, um, follows uh, the writer um, of Moby Dick uh, in one storyline as he tries to get the story of what happened to this whaling ship. And of course, then we see the story of what happened to this whaling ship. It stars Chris Hemsworth, uh, and what is his name? Noah Butterfield, the kid who's the new Spider-Man, um, as well as some other people. So yeah, a whale attacks a whaling ship. Mike, you saw this, did you? Yes, I also saw this. What did you think? Um, I really, really enjoyed the first half of it. Because um, like, you have these guys and they're on a ship and then they meet a whale and then they have to fight. So like... There's the formula. Fight ship. What's not to like? Yeah, you know, it's an instant winner. Unfortunately, the sec- the back half of the movie, um, they stop fighting. Um, and it turns into a kind of a survival drama, which I'm not quite such a big fan of. Um, so I, it kind of lost me a bit in, in that segment of the movie. But to get back to the good bit, I thought the whale was cool. And... Um, I thought the ass-kicking was cool. Um, some of the shots, uh, when they're in the small boats, look a little bit sort of faked. Um, but fortunately, there aren't too many bad shots. But the good shots are great. I, I was on the edge of my seat, like, oh, they're all going to die. <laughs> so, Mike, you, you were around when whaling was a profession. Um <laughs> served three years before the mast I did <laughs> there was there was plenty of CGI using this obviously how realistic did it look um, as I said there's parts that are a bit gammy right but there there are some bloody good shots in it um, that, what, what about the whale the whale is cool um, some people might give out about it I say fuck them I think it's a cool whale and if ever I wanted to be killed at sea by a large mammal that is protected. I want to be killed by that whale. Like <laughs> <laughs> that, or you know, like a sea lion. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a giant a, sea lion. A sea hopefully lion. with octopus legs. Yeah, and rabies. Sea like to bees. Guys, out of curiosity, comparing this to the other 
C film that was big lately, uh, Life of Pi. Mm-hmm. Obviously, very different visual yeah, styles, really. I assume. Totally different. Yeah. Yes. Um, the, this one, I suppose, doesn't really go for the the out there mm-hmm. imagine, um, imaginary kind of a thing that Life of Pi did. Um, mm-hmm. I think Life of Pi was probably a better movie. Um, just, yeah. Just because it kept the consistency right through. Right. Whereas this is this is very uneven. Um. I mean, looking at it kind of objectively, it's an awful simple story. You put two guys on a boat mm-hmm. that have a little conflict. Then there's an external threat, so they might have to make an arrangement with each other. And uh, then, you know, what's going to happen at the end? Will they be friends? Will they be enemies? Can we resolve this? You know, it's it's tense stuff. Sounds like it has it all. Is it as good a retelling of the Moby Dick story as Star Trek First Contact? No. I, I guess that. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, I'll I'll say one thing for Moby Dick: it's better story than this, because um, they get they have a a, a larger than life captain, um, Picard. Yeah, <laughs> and they have a larger than life whale. In this, you know, they've they've tried to stay true to the original report, which obviously weren't anywhere near as exciting as the the Melville story um but we, which is fair enough like you know we can't just make reality that fit better for the sake of the movie <laughs> so when i asked if it was as good a retelling of the moby dick story as star trek first contact you thought i was asking about the moby dick story yes i wasn't oh okay you're talking about contact with whales is it no star trek first contact where the whale is replaced by the borg Ah, uh, no, no, sorry, I totally missed that. Yeah. Well, the card is Ahab. The card is Ahab, exactly, uh, thank okay. you, Sean. Um, Sean, you saw this as well, I do believe? I did indeed. Um, I, I actually, I thought it was pretty throughout. I didn't think that there was any uh, uh, gammy bits in it really at all, and I, and I think the score is very impressive. So this is a big movie. Like, this is a, a sweeping epic, uh, and it is a period film as well. Um, unfortunately, for Chris Hemsworth and the audience, his character is pretty goddamn bland. And also the dialogue style didn't really help. I, I, I wonder if Chris Hemsworth's a good actor. And I keep waiting for the movie that decides it for me. And I thought Rush was that film. Like, he was great in Rush. But now, like, thinking back to it, the last time that he worked with Ron Howard in that film, I'm kind of going like, well, actually, all he really did was you know, like active things as opposed to, I don't know, I'm not saying I need him to do a monologue. I just mean that I just don't see him as these guys in films. I just see Chris Hemsworth, you know? Um, so unfortunately, this movie didn't solve that for me either. And he was hampered a little bit by such a bland, I really want to be a captain of a ship. And his wife is like, but you're going to be away for so long. I don't want you to. And he's like, but I have to because of my father. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I've got all this angst about it. And, you know, so there's about 10 minutes at the start of this movie, um, right after the story starts to get told, uh, where I'm just like, okay, get on the ship, please. Hurry up. Then they're on the ship. And I agree with Mike, it, it, it batters away there for quite some time until a big climactic event. I wasn't as bothered by the drama of the survival. I actually, at this point, I was in, you know. Mm-hmm. 
this is a difficult story to be told because like th- this young kid running around on the ship is played by Brendan Gleeson some 30 odd years later uh, retelling the story to Melville you know and it's a tough story for him to get out and Brendan Gleeson acts his heart out uh, doing it and I thought that was pretty well done but the problem is with the emotional wins of this some of them are saccharine partially because they use the period language like there's some wins that don't feel like wins because it, it's just such a like why well, back in my day it's 1852 <laughs> and I just like uh, you know that's in my face as opposed to there are people talking um, but I do think that the core story actually does pay off pretty well. Uh, by the time, by the time, whether or not Chris Hemsworth gets back uh, to the wife uh, and the unborn baby that's probably been born since he's been away, by the time that is like decided, what happens with that? I was actually invested, so you know, um, it, it did catch me in the end. Right. So, Mike, if you had to mark it out of ten. Um, Let's just say if someone asked you right this moment to do that. Hypothetically speaking, if somebody was to ask me to mark it out of 10, I'd probably I'd probably kind of want to give it a higher mark, but I can't in all honesty. So I'm going to give it a 7. I w- well, 7 is not a bad score. Uh, I, I wish score. I wish it was an 8. I really do. Because there was times in this movie when I thought, this is a fucking great movie. And then... Yeah. It ruins it. Hmm? It ruins it by doing something. Yeah, yeah. So, what can you do? If they'd replaced the whale with the Borg, would it have been better? The whale wasn't the problem. You know, you could have... It was like if you survived the Borg and then faffed around, you know, in a derelict spaceship for three and a half light years. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Thanks for uh, feeding into my... uh, trying to make everything about Star Trek. Sean, out of 10. Uh, yeah, I agree with Mike. It almost loses a point because of Chris Hemsworth, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I, I, I think it's worth watching. I think it's a good film. It's not, uh, it wasn't groundbreaking like I hoped it would be. Uh, but a 7 out of 10. It's very solid. 7 out of 10, right? Where we seem to be in agreement. So there was a film that came out this weekend that's making a lot of noise in the U.S., the Revenant, starring Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, and uh, Tom Hardy and Will Poulter. A frontiersman on a fur trading expedition in the 1820s fights for survival after being left for dead by members of his own hunting team. Also with Indians. So the IMDb summary didn't mention the Indians. I put that in. I Do you... Do you mean natives, or are they people from India who are all of a sudden showing up and chasing Leo? You're the Indians. No, we're the Indians. <laughs> so, it's a cowboys and Indians tale featuring lots of cold and hunger and starvation. Deprivation. And you, like, do you notice that when the film was going on, everyone just seems like they should be much colder than they are? <laughs> and sometimes I wondered if that was because they were bad actors but then you go no they're actually just showing that like life was so shit back then nobody noticed the cold and then they would start walking in like frozen water you know the the, the river would be half frozen to their left and they'd be walking around just doing stuff in a foot of, or more of water and you'd be going you're idiots <laughs> you're not going to survive like that mm-hmm. um, so who saw it 
I did. Mike. Mm-hmm. Would you like my opinion? I'd like you to teach us your ways, Michael. <laughs> teach us the ways. Um, I kind of like this. Um, and I probably shouldn't. <laughs> Why'd you say that? Don't judge yourself, Mike. <laughs> well, I, I, can't, I was watching this movie thinking nobody's going to like this. Because it's a bit slow and it's a bit cold. And it doesn't feel very nice. Um, so there's no, there's no pretty people like Leonardo DiCaprio. This is his uh, Brad Pitt California moment. You know, he's he's not pretty at all. <laughs> to be fair, Leonardo DiCaprio has not been pretty for a long, long time. Oh, that's harsh. That's no, wow. not, are you kidding me? He's gotten like fat and bloated. It's not like you're talking Basketball Diaries, maybe Titanic, since he was pretty. Oh man. Wow, yeah. I completely disagree by me and the rest of the world. Just going to throw that out there, Poor Shona. Leo just can't get a break from Shona. But You're you know harsh. what I will You're a really say? Harsh, bad person. What I will it? say is that Brad Pitt had a moment of prettiness last night. It was just like he's back to being pretty. I was yeah. so happy to see that. Brad's always pretty. It's no, his fault that everybody has, has to also, have abs. He has also left the pretty circle and gone for like respectful as of late. Mm-hmm. He's always wearing those like Hollywood glasses that have weird tints on them and his mm-hmm. hair is bad and his clothes are baggy. But last night he was back to like Mr. Black levels of hot. Sorry. Continue <laughs> your discussion on The Revenant. Uh, so yeah, the, those were the reasons I thought people aren't going to like this because it you know, it starts out with a battle, um, but it, it's a grubby, grimy battle. It's not like a in-your-face, let's-get-excited battle. It's it's really kind of, ew, I don't like the look of this. <laughs> <laughs> People are getting hurt, fuck's sake. And then they just go from one episode of squalor and cold and horror into another. And they, they get deeper into woods and deeper into rivers and just basically deeper into shit and it's it's kind of a downer you know yeah but i enjoyed the down the downness of it of course you did (laughs) what more horrible shit can they do to these guys uh uh, actually sean mentioned the accents in or the pronunciation in uh hateful eight no no no, in the heart of the sea Mm. uh they've done something similar with this it is in places quite hard to understand what people are saying um, because they've gone for, I don't know, a reconstruction of what they imagine people would have spoken that, like at that time. Okay. Um, particularly Tom Hardy. Uh, you know, he, he's great in the role, but sometimes you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, actually, he's barely recognizable as well. Really? And uh, Mr. Gleason, um, much better in this. Brendan or Donal? Uh, Donal. Much he's in so many good films. He's yeah. just incredible. I thought he was much stronger in this than he was in The Force Awakens. Right. Um, in Force Awakens, he's kind of a bit of a caricature. He is, but I mean, I think yeah. that's kind of what J.J. Abrams was going for. Yeah, I mean, he did as he was told. but. Um, and I still go back to About Time as one of my favorite, like, watchable films. He's mm-hmm. so good in that. Yeah, yes. I mean, there's there's no denying he's he's very talented. Yeah. And I think in this, he, he's coming into his own. Um, he plays kind of the, the captain of the expedition. Um, but he's clearly out of his depth. He doesn't. He has no idea where he is. This is set in the Louisiana Purchase back, you know, back when we mm-hmm. people were using whale oil. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you were eight, Mike. <laughs> that's right. That's right, Mark. <laughs> Would that be classified as the good old days? Uh, yeah. 
Um, so the, I mean, the the bones of the story is that it's a, a revenge story. Um, something really bad happens, and you know, I'm not standing for it. We're gonna get some retribution here, and I thought that was quite well done. Um, I I bought into it. Um, I I felt the hate, and I liked the way it was resolved. Maybe other people might have thought it was a bit slow, but it was good for me. Oh, good. Well, no, I, I didn't think it was slow, but you see, the last film I watched was The Hateful Eight, where they walked through snow for half an hour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and nothing else happened except for wide panoramic shots. <laughs> At least in this, when they were walking, there was dialogue, or there might be the chance of an old avalanche or a wild animal. Yeah. So it was at least 14 times better than The Hateful Eight's first hour and a half. Um, I thought the characterization was really, really good. Um, Tom Hardy reminded me a little bit of his character in the film that I always get the name wrong of. Is it Lawless? It is Lawless. Well, I got it right. Hey. Reminded me a bit of his Lawless character. I think it was the way he was affecting his voice because he had quite an affected accent in that one too. But, uh, but he was really good. Really, really good. DiCaprio was excellent as well. He had a lot of really tricky acting to do in this. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did it really well. There's a, there's a couple of times when he, he couldn't actually verbalize, mm-hmm. but he had to show a lot of emotion. And I thought he, he really did that well. Yeah, Mark, mm-hmm. I really need you to tell me about Leo's acting in this film because he won a Golden Globe for it. I think he's kind of been Oscar baiting mm-hmm. with every film he's ever done with Scorsese. Um <laughs> And there's talk that this could be his year. I actually heard one um, Oscar voter person saying that they voted for Leo because they felt like if they didn't give it to him, he was just going to lose his mind because he's been trying so hard to get an Oscar. I hear the performance is good, but all I see in the trailer is a man running through snow looking desperate. So you're going to have to tell me what was so good about his performance, guys. No, the performance was really, really good. So he carries, the character carries a lot of emotional baggage into the story. Because of this terrible thing that Mike's talking about? Oh, no, um, even to start with. Well, it's, it's okay. added to during okay. the film. Okay. And I think he portrays that really well. My only issue with the film and DiCaprio's character arc is there's too many dream sequences or flashbacks. Mm. Like, they were important to get the motivation of the character, but I thought that they were a little bit overdone. We could have used maybe two less of those. Mm. Um, but... I, th- I think the big standout scene was the one I just described, Sean. It's where he can't actually verbalize, but he's showing a lot of emotion. Um, okay. I'm, I'm skirting around telling you what's going on because right. it's a bit spoilery, but right. it's, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. And as in the final act, I think as well, it's, it's just really good. I, th- I think this could be his magnum opus. I certainly preferred his acting in this to a lot of his other work that he came close with. So I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be deserving of an Oscar, in my opinion, at least. Mm. I don't know if he deserves an Oscar, but comparatively speaking, I think he was much stronger in this than he was in Wolf of Wall Street. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely. I was just going to, that was my next question actually is because I think Leo has done a lot of, um, award bait type films. I think it's kind of ever since Titanic, really, he didn't need to do anything mm-hmm. except for really good films, did he? Yeah. So excluding The Revenant, what would you say was his best performance up until then, if we're excluding it, regardless of you know whether you think Revenant's... Django. Django for you, Mark. Um, I loved him in Django. He was so good. Yeah, I, I think this is up there with Django. No, I know, but we're excluding The Revenant, so... Oh, excluding you know, The Revenant. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, 
Django. You have a hard time listening to questions tonight, Mike. I do, I do, yeah. yeah. You just answered the question you you thought we should have asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm having an off night. What can I do? Because <laughs> uh, I, I have to say, I'll, I'll let you think about um, it. I always kind of go back to, um, I guess I'm old school Leo. Yeah. I, I I thought he was brilliant in the Basketball Diaries. Mm-hmm. I liked him in Romeo and Juliet. I think it's mm-hmm. a very watchable love story, and I think he does a great job. He's also very cute in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked him in The Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, I thought of the one I like him best in is uh, is it Shutter Island? Shutter Island. Shutter Island. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was brilliant in that. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. He's always amazing. <laughs> Blood Diamond as well. He was pretty spot on in Blood Diamond. Yeah, he's yeah, done a lot of good stuff. And the Departed. Yeah. yeah, I didn't like him in Departed. You know, he, I know I'm in the I minority for that, but uh, I just. I don't think has, maybe has the character wasn't any, deep enough the way he played it. Has he given any bad performances in recent mind? Mm, I can't Titanic, name really. one in general. Maybe what was that? Like um, Romeo and Juliet, Gatsby? I loved. Maybe Gatsby was a weaker performance. I didn't see it. I didn't hear people say it was weak. I, yeah. I think when you're just looking at his canon, maybe it would <laughs> it would have to be the contender, yeah. just because it was I don't know. Yeah. I think I think you're just going to have to accept the fact that he's a good actor, Sean. Maybe I will. Yeah. And, pro- and probably and a, great a lot, a lot hotter than you give him credit for. He's not a lot hotter. He's just richer, he's hot. which is why he's, he's too small. <laughs> he, he's too bloated, Mark. It's not uh, that he's well, too small. He's too well big. in the Leonard in the Leonard universe. Anybody who's under six foot three is small. You know? <laughs> no, but he's a tiny man. If he gave you a hug, like you wouldn't yeah. feel protected. No, you'd just be like, <sighs> we know what kind of men Mark is interested in. But I would say that Leonardo DiCaprio has a look, and that look is. Super bloated No, it's he's not. a beauty. Ugh, he shot. hasn't been hot Skin since the so beach. Soft. Disagree. Catch Dis- me if you can. Disagree. Beautiful. The yes. departed. Gorgeous. Grungy. Beautiful. Wolf of Wall Street. You're taking way too many drugs, but I mean, you look fun. Let's let's do what happens in this broom closet. All right, all right. I'd go with you there on Wolf of Wall Street and uh, whatever the first one was you mentioned, but. Yeah. Well, I think there's, there's, there can be no argument. He doesn't look hot in this. I think we're in agreement <laughs> that Sean and I are suitable wingmen for each other because we would not be competing for the same men. It's by the sounds of things. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It is important in your choice of wingman for sure that you, you don't have overlapping tastes. Never mind that I'm married and Sean is straight. I think we would still make good wingmen if we were out on the hunt for men, Sean. So I'll give oh. you a call next time that needs to happen. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you can work something out. <laughs> There'd be I'm some not, scenario where this is useful. <laughs> My skills are Wait. transferable. Mike, have we got anything else you want to say about The Revenant? Uh, yeah, it, just the, the cinematography. I, I loved... The, the grunginess of it all um, and I think it took a lot of effort to get it to look that horrible um, so it it's very dirty alright yeah like the, the, we're talking about the good clean dirt here you know when you compare <laughs> it to something like Shannara where there's no, supposed it's, it's to be dirty the dirt woods, these guys are really fucking filthy yeah yeah <laughs> Um, well, Leonardo DiCaprio hasn't stopped talking about kind of almost how method he went with this, you know, that like he was really cold and really dirty mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah, they got they got knee deep in this, didn't they? Yeah. And yeah. then some. And uh, I wonder is is there a Native American equivalent of the Bechdel test? There's quite a quite what's a few. What do you mean? Quite quite a few of the native characters get to actually speak. And, okay. And, and not in uh, me big heap angry with white man type noble savage <laughs> trope. Yeah. So I'll give him credit for that as well. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, overall, I, I like this movie. Mark, yeah, I liked it a lot as well. Um, you feel cold watching it. You feel wet and miserable, which means it's incredibly immersive, and that it, there's no way that's not a good thing. The character arcs are really well developed and rich, as are the characters themselves. Story is good, keeps you on the edge of your seat when it's appropriate. And it, I felt that it moved along quite well. I think, Mike, you were worried that it was slow, but I thought it was paced quite well. Yeah, I'm, I'm just always aware of when I'm watching movies that nobody ever agrees with me, and I feel quite bad about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you, I thought the pacing was good. You feel about anything, Mike? I, I think <laughs> there's a whole layer of you I didn't even know about emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a good all-around movie. It's um, to be honest, for me, it's an eight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd have to go eight on this too. It's it's worth well seeing. And last question, guys. Then this is getting a lot of attention for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Is it worth the hype? It's it's up there. Mm. It, it's better than some of the stuff that got Oscars last year. Well, that's two, that's two eights. Like it's very rarely, first of all, that me and Mike agree, and then we that we both give something an eight means that it, it hits a lot of different um, tastes, I guess. All yeah. right. Yeah. Good review from both of you. I might, I probably still won't see it, but still, I'm glad that you both enjoyed it. <laughs> no, we certainly did. So now that we're finished talking about the Revenant, why don't we get into some trailers and coming to a bicycle near you? So the first one we want to talk about is season four of House of Cards. Who put this one on? Yeah, that was me, Mark. We've um, I've seen a lot of coverage this week about The Leader You Deserve, which is the name of the trailer that's come out for season four of House of Cards. Uh, it's done really well because it's done kind of amidst the political landscape in America of elect- election season uh, coming in. And it's Frank Underwood as the president giving um, a presidential speech talking about uh, how America is getting the leader that they deserve in him. But his speech is interspersed with video clips of the first preceding three seasons, uh, which show a stark juxtaposition of what he's saying he is to America versus who we know he is so far. Um, so it looks like season four is going to get dark and maybe start to talk about some of the I, I wonder if it'll go into kind of some of his uh past discretions will be brought to light are well, we gonna is america gonna see the real frank underwood the trailer is kind of hinting that that might be coming back to haunt him well i watched the first episode of this when we reviewed it on is it a bicycle and always wanted to go back to it but never found the time but that was when i didn't know how much sex there is in it <laughs> <laughs> Now I think I have to start over again at season one and just get it up on my Netflix and go. Oh, it's so good, Mark. I think it's like one of my favorite all-time shows. But is there sex in every episode, though? No. Because <laughs> um, that was one thing Spartacus gave us. Yeah, you, this isn't this isn't like a TNA show, so you're not going to get it in every episode. That trailer was very misleading. <laughs> he hit sex approximately every four and a half seconds in that trailer. Well, you know, it's the, it's the best bits of the first three seasons, so... I have to watch three seasons to see that sex, and that's all the sex there well, is. I, th- I think the sex that you saw in the trailer was from season one, so you know, have at it. I might just watch so, Spartacus again. So, <laughs> what, what I what I liked about this trailer is like season one of House of Cards. Uh, 
is a look at this engaging, driven guy, and you can't believe how far he actually goes. Season two is a horror story about this horrible person and how his charisma is potentially actually going to allow him to claim the highest office in the land. Season three is a mess um, where he, it's, I find it pretty boring, but I guess the character arc is that he's a compromiser and a coward. So I'm really hoping that this show's fourth season uh, will, taking what the trailer showed us, actually allow him to go back and just do this fucked up stuff and get shit accomplished. I don't want any quibbling. I don't want any boring romances that don't go anywhere. Uh, and to be honest, I, I don't really want to give him an adversary that he can't go out and actually fucking murder. So I would like it if the show can go back to being fun and horrifying and charming instead of kind of boring. I agree. That's so spot on, Sean. All of that, I would just say yes to. He's 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 at his best when you're wondering... Is he actually as depraved as I think he is? And then he's even worse. That's definitely when the show's at its strongest. And we departed from that in season three. So is there a mm-hmm. machete option for House of Cards, for those of us who haven't watched it all? Good question, Mike. Uh, watch season one and okay. watch season two. Right. If you needed to skip There's... something, you could skip season three. Right. I could fill you in on that in like two sentences. Okay. Cool. <laughs> There's... There's probably about four episodes of season three that would get all of the storylines of mm-hmm. season three covered. Okay. Like literally, they go to Russia once. That's important. Yeah. That's like a third of the plot of the show. Is there like a list, a machete list of when the sex happens? Mark, for fuck's sake. <laughs> well, like On Mr. Skin, you can find when the sex happens in any movie or TV show. And you can fast forward to the exact timestamp that they give you there. Well, I don't want to miss the story. You know? Well, like, I presume somebody is. I don't, like, I don't know how to the, help you then, Mark. I think you're just going to have to watch the show. I presume at some point, you know, um, Kevin Spacey is, like, you know, in detention. And the really hot teacher thinks that he needs to be taught that he's a bad boy or something like that. All right. This trailer review is descending quickly. Can we move on? <laughs> Then there'd be another one where Kevin Spacey has to is a plumber. Stop it, Jesus, Mark! You're somehow outdoing Mike in terms of people we need to shut up on this podcast. Elvis and Nixon is a trailer we looked at this week. Did Elvis and Nixon have a picture taken together? Is that true? Yes. Is it the most requested picture ever? I don't know. I find that hard to believe. So that's what we see in this trailer. It opens up with this picture of Nixon and Elvis, and it says that it's the most requested. Information is it from the FBI or CIA or I don't know. It's I don't know. It's the most requested something, um, and this is a movie that tells the story of how this picture came to be. Right, so, and it's a comedy, and it doesn't seem to be yeah. truthful. No, it seems to focus on. Now, did I get this? Did I misunderstand the trailer, or is it not in fact Elvis in the picture, but they're saying it's an Elvis impersonator? who is going in as a spy. No, I thought it was actually Elvis. Oh. Was I wrong? Maybe I'm... No, I thought it was actually Elvis. And I don't know if he's actually going to go on any mission, though. They might just, like, be giving him something fake to do. So the trailer maybe is not wholly clear on what the movie's about. (laughs) There is Elvis and there is Nixon. So Nixon is played by Kevin Spacey in this. He doesn't seem to have a lot of sex. Yeah, he's 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 less Frank Underwood and more yeah Nixon. 
Mm-hmm. Still presidential, though. Mistake, I think. I like him better as a Frank Underwood. I think Elvis had a lot of sex. <gasps> You're right. There's hope for this film yet. Would you watch yeah. it based on this trailer? I'd watch no. anything with Elvis in it. Would you? Oh, yeah. Are you an Elvis fan? He's a fucking king. Jesus Christ. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I I actually watched, a, there was a, a highlight, a memorial thing for him on TV the other day. And it was just the sheer persona that could let you go out on stage in front of real people wearing a cape. <laughs> even, even Mark Leonard would, would shy it's, away it's from hard that. to argue with that Mike that is ironclad logic do you know capes are having a moment in fashion should I wear one over here next week and am I going to get more respect from you you never know stranger things have happened <laughs> definitely I think you should Shona regardless of respect or not yeah, yeah. Just, I'll just, take that under just stop looking in the windows at night okay <laughs> well that part I can't help <laughs> so what about Daredevil season 2 Shona so, yeah, Netflix has put out um, its trailer for season two um, after the runaway success of season one. Daredevil, I think, was one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. Um, that was It wasn't a 2015 show, though, was it? No, it was 2014, I think. Anyways, it was hella good whenever it came out. And so we have season two. Um, the beginning part of the trailer mostly is recapping what was in season one. But then towards the end of the trailer, we see some uh, hints of what's to come. Sean, I think you were telling me something about that. Yeah. So uh, a big complaint with trailers nowadays for me is that they just tell you all of the shit that's going to happen. Usually we talk about this in terms of comedies and we're worried that they put the best jokes in the trailer. This has no new footage, so it can't possibly spoil anything. So what they do is they show you these, uh, they look like paintings, like Sistine Chapel style um, on the walls of a church of big moments from Daredevil season one, uh, which came out on April 10th, 2015. Um, and you like see the, the core character moments, the big shit that happened that changed people in the show uh, for Karen Page, for Foggy, for Matt, for all of their interrelationships. You see some beautiful images just that the show managed to make. And then it starts to pull back and you see all of these, these images as a tapestry. And you're hearing noises from these episodes as well. And you're being reminded of the core themes. And we presume these themes will continue. We see some shit where we go, hold on. Actually, that could come back to bite X person in the ass. Or I wonder if they're going to do kisses. What's going on there? And then without even realizing it, you see that this tapestry has shadow. And the shadow forms a skull, the classic logo uh, of the Punisher a character that everyone's very excited who's going to show up. So you have just enough time to register that before all of the windows get shot the fuck out by uh, an automatic rifle or something. It sounds super ridiculous. And to me, all I need to show, know about the show is things are difficult and precarious. Here is the hero that we are left with. This was his origin that we got to see. Now everything's going to get shot to shit. You know, if the Punisher is in it, I might even watch this. <laughs> Did you not watch season one? Dude, no. Oh, no. it's so good. It was very good, Mike. Such you made a mistake there. Yeah. Big yeah, mistake. It was it was the whole superhero thing. But I can identify oh, with the Punisher. He's barely a superhero. Yeah. See the Punisher, that's a proper hero. Uh, okay. Punisher is a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> Who has no powers at all. <laughs> oh Mike. I'm sold. <laughs> Although I did see him in one comic, he was in a helicopter over a jungle and he saw a flash of light, which is like Punisher eyes told him it was a rocket launcher. 
So he immediately just jumped out of the chopper, more or less an aim for the bushes type scenario. And of course he was fine. Well, why wouldn't you be? (laughs) (laughs) I think if I keep giving you enough examples of where um, Marvel portray the Punisher to be slightly more than human, Mm. even if he's allegedly not, I think I might get you on board with liking superheroes. Nice. I don't think it's going to happen unless we find a superhero for Mike who's mostly naked most of the time. That's most of the girl superheroes, though. Yeah, I know. Oh. Not Electra. Jessica Jones, Electra is going to be in season two. Well, there's, there's still uh, Wonder Woman season one. Now we're talking. Yeah. She can stand up without uncrossing her feet, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no. I don't know. No, that's, that's a reference not, to the 70s registered. show. <laughs> When she used to talk to like, who, Mike, the Amazonian goddesses or something? Yeah, yeah. She, well, she was an Amazonian princess. Yeah. yeah. She used to talk to the boys back home. Like, mm-hmm. she would sit cross-legged on the ground. She who? Princess Wonder Diana. Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. Oh, okay. And then when she would stand up, she wouldn't uncross her feet first. And I could never quite figure it out. And I definitely couldn't do it after weeks of trying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I did actually manage to do it. Can, can it be done? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like what, wires to, and shit. To start with your feet crossed and then stand up without uncrossing them? Yeah. Yeah. Can you, are you crossing your ankles or are you crossing at your knees? Because I think that would be the, the main. Uh, shins. Crossed at the shins. Crossed at the shins. Yeah, I think you could do that. Yeah, sure. Or, why not? If you're Wonder Woman. Yeah. If you're- <laughs> or, or Mike, strangely. It's part of her superpower. <laughs> so I'm going to watch Daredevil season two. You couldn't stop me. Um, if the Punisher's in it, I'm even more hooked. If scantily clad Electra is going to be there, then we should all join for the party, I think. <laughs> Guys, there's so much good TV ahead of us this year. I cannot wait. It's going to be a great year. What else are you looking forward to, Shona? Game of Thrones in so, April. Yeah. Can't wait for that. That's always kind of like once we get into the new year, it's always countdown to Game of Thrones. Yeah, so yeah. that'll be the is next big thing. Is it April again this year? It's, it's usually March, actually, but March. this year it's going to be April. We have okay. to wait a little bit longer. So. Right. Uh, that's going to be my, my personal mm-hmm. highlight. There'll be no Sherlock this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just coming into the beginning of the year, all the television is kind of restarting again now. Mm-hmm. Like I know shows that are already big in America are coming here. Like we have Code Black is airing in Ireland tonight for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, iZombie is coming. So there's a lot of stuff that's mm-hmm. kind of just starting up on the screens now. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's so exciting. <laughs> and The Walking Dead is back on Valentine's Day appropriately. Ow. Yeah. I Great. don't know, screens-wise, I just can't get past Creed. I'm so excited. Yeah. Wow. That'll be That's this really weekend, exciting. isn't it? That's, That's this weekend, this weekend. Yeah. yeah. So we'll be talking about that, I think, soon enough. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to see it. That'll can be, I, that'll be I a popcorn movie, for sure. Go on, Sean. Let's throw one tidbit out, um, just about Daredevil. So season two comes out the day that Batman versus Superman comes out. Whoa, what a day. Yeah, they very much. I think that they very much planned it so that, like, all of the marketing for Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice will also remind people. Oh, you know, I think that's also. Geez, I better go on Netflix. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Marvel have a TV show out that I should probably check. Batman versus Superman versus Daredevil. There you go. Dawn of Blind Justice. Justice is blind. <laughs> the Justice cocktail that we all need. So it looks like that's it for another episode here at the Is It A Bicycle Studio. So from Mike, Shona, Sean and Mark, stay classy. Nice.